90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? I don't know, man. I've got a lot of computer problems. Uh, uh oh. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of my inability to accept that technology is here to stay. Um, but also, you know, I don't know. I just, I'm trying this new Mac. I say new Mac. I've had it a year, but I, I don't really touch it very much. And I, I just, I have a lot of questions. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> But before we get into that, how have you been? I know you just got back from a lot of travel again. Yes. So I was out doing the final workshop of the year for Unidata. Yay. Uh, now we are going to be scrambling to get a short course together for AMS in January because that's not far away. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> this went really well. Went down to Texas Tech in Lubbock. Um, that's a beautiful place to be this time of year. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I, it was surprisingly... <laughs> cool. Uh, I did not realize that Lubbock is at about 3,000 yeah. feet. Yeah, it's pretty high. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, no, it was great. Um, saw some very interesting pieces of research, went to a student seminar and did some things like that in addition to giving the workshop and got to catch up with Dr. Eric Bruning, who we've interviewed on here before, mm -hmm. and actually see some work that he's done where he took an artist out into the field and they watched them collect lightning data. And now there's an exhibition at the university's art museum that has some of his scientific plots as art and some of the artists interpretations of the plots and field data collection and all this as well. That sounds amazing. It was pretty neat. I think we might have to have him back on to talk about it. Oh, absolutely. Um, do you know the name of that museum? Is this something that we can look up? It was just the university's museum. I will okay. see if there is a link to this specific exhibition, and if there is, I will put it in show notes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is super cool. Yes, it looks like it's just called the Museum of Texas Tech University. <laughs> and it is amazingly large. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it looks like it's got everything, art and paleontology and all that oh, stuff. Oh, yes. Cool. Uh, it, it was neat. One of the more interesting pieces, which just shows that I don't understand how artists think, <laughs> uh, was the artist behind a piece of glass. There's a green screen and they were wearing a green suit, uh, painting interpretations of lightning strokes onto the glass that was recorded and then projected onto a wall that was made out of West Texas cotton. This is awesome. Which was cloud-like which took me far longer to get than it should have <laughs> oh see this just shows that maybe i shouldn't be in science because i knew just where you're going there <laughs> yeah so it was uh it was interesting and uh, hopefully we'll get to talk some more about that because it was a uh, one of the sciences art type exhibitions yeah, that we've talked about before yeah that's really neat um we should totally do something like that here at ou i'm gonna I'm going to talk to some people about that. <laughs> uh, oh, and there was also 3D printed uh, estimated lightning bolts from lightning mapping array data. What? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. How, how, uh, what was the scale on these things? I'm not sure what the scale factor was. The largest one, which was 200 kilometers in real life, was, oh, I don't know, maybe 20 inches or so long. That's pretty cool. Yeah. 
How neat. Well, that sounds awesome. I'm sure you are exhausted from that. So I hope you're ready for all these questions I have. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little nervous about this because you said, I want to talk about operating systems. We've had a show in the list of potential shows for a long time that was called Windows, Mac, and Linux Walk Into a Bar. <laughs> and you said, I'm going to interview you about this. Uh, exactly. Um, so obviously we keep this Google Doc of all these, you know, shows and every week John and I are like what are we gonna do and I just saw that one and I thought it was it was good because what I'm trying to do is right now is to let go of my old Lenovo and just let it die it needs to die and I can't do it it's the computer I wrote my dissertation on it makes me sad <laughs> but it needs to leave and I've got this fancy expensive I'm guessing new Mac not new it doesn't have that bar whatever that weird bar is on it um but it's a it's a couple years old but it's very powerful and i thought you know it's just sitting here i should really learn how to use this so i'm trying to learn how to use it and it's just it's not weird to me how different they are because obviously they're totally different products but it made me start thinking about sort of you know what is the purpose of this like should i even be trying to learn this what's the purpose of windows what works best and i thought who could i ask this about oh definitely John Lehman. <laughs> Mostly because you got that Microsoft Surface and blew my mind that you did that a couple of years ago. And so I thought, at least you've got a finger in all three of these operating systems. And I used to work with Linux a lot when I was in meteorology. So I've done that a little bit too. But that just sort of got me thinking, like, basically, I wanted to talk about the three different operating systems and what they can do for people. And we haven't had a computing show in a long time either. You know, it's true, and the timing is really good because, so I, though I do have, I, a Mac is my daily driver. Yes. And then I have the Surface and another Windows box uh, that I remote into that are mostly for more engineering type things where it's instrument control or something that doesn't work on a Mac. And okay. then I have some Linux servers, and I deal with Linux servers at work as well. Okay. Uh, when we went to Texas Tech, it was interesting because we were trying to set people's computers up to teach this workshop. We're installing Python. We're going to be using the Bash shell, if that means anything to our listeners. And uh, normally, it's mostly Macs, a few Linux boxes, Brave Souls, <laughs> and then maybe one or two Windows computers out of you know 18 people. Wow. This time, it was a 50-50 split Windows and Mac Linux. Oh, no kidding. And oh. it took us twice as long to get everybody set up. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not going to blame that totally on Windows. It's just, it's what we're less familiar with, and we haven't encountered it in long enough that we didn't know some things had changed, and there were some install quirks. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's really funny. Um, I remember back in the old computer lab days, right, when not everybody had, hardly anyone had laptops, actually. Um, and our meteorology computer lab, we got some Macs in there. And I remember they had that one button mouse and everybody's like, what do I do with this thing? Like, Yeah. <laughs> it was just mind blowing. <laughs> well, and, you know, we get the comment a lot of, well, why don't you just set up our lab computers? It's like, because... <laughs> if we just set up the lab computers and then a week after the course, your sysadmin goes through and blows them away and yeah. makes them normal again, you can't use anything you learned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If we put it on your laptop, you have it at least as long as you have that laptop. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's, I mean, that's sort of, yeah. So what's the best thing? Because that, that's kind of that question too. But I, I don't want to get too far off of my scripted sheet here because my first question to you was, what was your first operating system that you used? DOS. Yeah. That's what I was hoping. <laughs> I don't remember the version number, but the disk operating system, the, you know, black terminal, white text, text only operating system. I do remember firing up uh, WordPerfect and uh, I believe Corel on that. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, we had an old IBM. I remember that was super cool. And I was in second grade and I was the first, not the first person, but one of the first people to get a computer, I remember, because my mom was actually really techie. And um, <laughs> she figured out how to do some really basic, literally and figuratively, uh, programming. <laughs> <laughs> and she figured out how to like program this little heart made out of O's. And we printed that off on pink paper with our dot matrix. And those were my Valentines that year, like to my class. And it was this huge deal. <laughs> Oh, ASCII art. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, before it was cool. Okay, so great. <laughs> did you ever use the operating system PC Geos? Ooh, no. So this is a cool little digression. Uh, sometime between DOS and Windows 3.1.1-ish, somewhere in there, mm -hmm. which was Windows for Workgroups. It's networking, you know. Right. Um, I remember I had a 386X, which was the 386 with the math coprocessor. <laughs> nice. And ran this operating system called PC Geos, which was a weird, looking back on it, it's like a, it's like a Mac Windows hybrid sort of interface. Oh, weird. Uh, but I definitely remember making it a multi-boot system and playing the Gorillas game on it. <laughs> Man, I bet that's, yeah. That sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this looks great. This uh, I just looked it up, obviously, to get a a view of it. That's that's pretty sweet. <laughs> it, for being that early of a oh, yeah. graphical interface, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the latest release of <laughs> of PC Geos was only eight years ago. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah. I cannot imagine that it was in business, except maybe in, you know, some dark corner of... Exactly. One... It, it, it controls this one thing that everybody that has that thing needed exactly. it still. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. That's like, you know, our uh, isotope lab at OU just recently got upgraded from Apple IIe's. Oh, uh -huh. I remember those too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were never cool enough for that. We always had the IBM. Um, that was a beautiful segue into my next question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which, you know, you remember there was all these commercials when Mac started to become a really big deal for, you know, for personal computing type issues. Then there was sort of a stereotype of what type of people use Mac and Windows. You know, so more artists were using Macs, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Right? And then oh, yeah. Windows was like everybody else, nerdy scientist. I don't know what the stereotype for Linux people was. Uh, a nerdy scientist. Okay, I that's think. what I figured. Even nerdier scientists, right? Yeah. Okay, so. The uh, the engineers, we could say. Engineers. Oh, absolutely right. So do you think these stereotypes are still true? Not really. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, the If you notice, the... 
so I think you were referring to the Think Different campaigns, like the old Super Bowl ad, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for Apple. Yep. And now you know, there's been in more recent years the ads where it was the guy in the business suit that was like, "I'm a PC," and then good the, old John Hodgman, and then that super cool guy. Yeah. Yeah, the, the cool <laughs> guy in the t-shirt and the loose jeans that was like, "And I'm a Mac," and. <laughs> You know, it, yep. those commercials went away for a reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and not because John Hodgman was not awesome, because he totally is. But <laughs> Yeah, it's because that's not really the stereotype anymore. Yeah, I, I didn't, I wouldn't have assumed so either. Um, it seems like a lot of, especially computer scientists use Mac. And well, that's what I would have thought. But I'll tell you, in one of my classes, my non- well, it's science majors, but um, not geologist science majors. I've had a couple of computer scientists come through, and they all use Windows. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was weird, right? <laughs> but I would bet if you ask them what they do on their computers, 99% of them open Putty remote into some kind of server somewhere that's a Linux box, and that's how they use that computer. Ah, I see. That that would be I would wager some some cash on that. Mm, uh, okay. Just because okay. that's sort of what I have, have observed is there is a subgroup of people that, well, I'm gonna be working on a remote system all the time anyway, so I'm just gonna get this cheapo bare bones machine because I'm not actually doing computing on it. Okay. But we'll get there, I think. Okay. Hopefully. Um, (laughs) I mean, so when I started thinking about those stereotypes, you know, I felt like they probably weren't really true anymore either, um, actually. But it seemed like they were for a long time, even though Apple still has sort of the whole we're all synced up and interfaced and simple and weird Scandinavian type vibe, I think. (laughs) Well, I mean, if you watch the last keynote, the the Apple stores now, some of them are... uh... Oh, what they call them? Community centers, community squares, oh, town my. squares, town squares. That's what it is, oh, uh, where where people can gather to learn and converse. Uh, you know, I hate that. But the last time I was at the mall, which I also hate, <laughs> there were <laughs> there were zero people in the Microsoft store, and that Apple store, which was super weird looking, was just packed. It's true, and that's a mixed experience because I have had more helpful people when I've gone to a Microsoft store. Mm-hmm. Uh, that say, oh, what do you do? Oh, you might like this machine. You might like this machine. This would be a good feature for you. Whereas at an Apple store, it's sort of like, yeah, what's your credit card limit? <laughs> um, so that's funny too, because that was also my, um, I used both of these stores in the last couple of months. Uh, that was also my impression. And I got the impression too and I always thought this was weird. Like, Macs don't want you touching them. You know what I mean? Like, you could take a Windows machine and do a bunch of stuff, but you can't really touch inside an iPad or a Mac. They don't really like that. No. Um, <laughs> my my first Mac laptop, uh, you could. You could pull the back off. You could take the battery out. You could put a new hard drive in, put more RAM in. Uh, and then it got less and less. The last computer i got uh there's nothing to do everything soldered to the board and 
yeah, you can't upgrade the hard drive. You can't upgrade the RAM. If something goes wrong, they just put a whole new board in. Wow. Wow. See, I, I feel bad on this interview because I have some insider information. And I remember when something bad happened and you got really angry at Mac. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, as, as I think we'll get to, I don't. There are things I loathe about using a Mac. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> um, <laughs> great. So that being said, and there's all kinds of things to complain about with all this stuff and with everything in life, but in an effort to be more positive, I mean, what do you think the best part about using a Mac is? What's your favorite one thing? What's your favorite one thing about the Mac experience? It just works. (laughs) No matter what. I can turn it on, I can open a terminal, I'm at a Linux shell, and it just works. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel some anxiety here towards <laughs> towards maybe what the worst thing about Windows is, is what you're going <laughs> to... <laughs> okay, um, so I'm going to make you pick what you think the best thing about Linux and Windows is. Linux kind of, I mean, I don't know. No one uses that exclusively right except for the uber nerds but try to give uh, me a okay well i don't know about that statement either but okay uh, okay let, let's start okay windows so what is the best thing about working in windows mm-hmm. um it's compatible with many popular pieces of software mm-hmm. so that's a good plus uh let's see what what would be my favorite thing about working with windows though um must say a lot of the built-in functionality, like window snapping, uh, being able to quickly get to things, even the way the Explorer works, I don't mind that much. So I'm going to say a lot of the batteries included type stuff with the operating system that you have to have add-on apps to do on a Mac. Ah, okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. I found that out too. <laughs> like, where <laughs> is this thing that I use all the time? It's not here. <laughs> exactly. Um. And okay, Linux. So even back to the... I guess back to my stereotype of Linux people, besides being engine nerds, <laughs> would also be like people that are crazy anti, um, like anti corporate stuff too. Yeah, that, the, that know, seems the, yeah. like. I mean, I'm obviously pointing to my friend Andrew, which you also know, but <laughs> <laughs> it seems like those kind of people use Linux. But what's the best thing if you were exclusively like a Linux user? You have all of the knobs. And you can turn them however you want, as many times as you want, forever. Ah, forever. <laughs> okay. And sometimes that's all you do on a uh, big system. Yeah, it's just turn knobs. <laughs> that seems like an awful rabbit hole to fall down. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is the, this is an aside, but what is the f- current flavor of Linux that most people use? Like Red Hat? Like what is? Oh, gosh. There's lots. Um, oh, okay. So it's still... It's still a large amount out there then. Oh, yeah. I mean, Red Hat's still popular, uh, CentOS, Ubuntu, Fedora. Okay. Uh, yeah. I didn't know if all those things were still around. I haven't messed around in Linux in several years. Yeah, I mean, Ubuntu is sort of my go-to install now. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's that's what a lot of my crazy friends use as well. So. Okay. <laughs> all right, gotcha. So what are the differences in the Linux What's the difference between 
Ubuntu and Red Hat. Oh, different user interfaces, different ways underlying things are architected. Okay, uh, so different ways people have turned the knobs and then given it to you. Right. So there okay. are different bases to some of these distributions. Uh, overall, you're not going to notice a ton of difference. All flavors are the same thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, the interface is slightly different. I might mean, use a slightly different package manager, but if you're new to Linux, I would pick up Ubuntu and keep running. Uh, there are some things, especially server-like things or uh, AWIPs that want to run on CentOS and CentOS only. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there, there are a few things like that that depends on what you want to do with it. Uh, but overall, yeah, I'm... I run a Ubuntu server on a couple of rack machines, and then I have an Ubuntu laptop as well, and oh, I'm very happy okay. with it. Okay, gotcha. So conversely, one thing, <laughs> what's the worst of each? So what's the worst part of Macs? Uh, cost for horsepower. Ah, <laughs> yeah, okay. Yep. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, so... Cost for horsepower slash upgradability. We'll we'll lump those together. <laughs> you can't you can't get away from it, can you? <laughs> I just want to touch your insides. Why won't you let me? <laughs> I, exactly. Show title. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so true. Um, yeah, I remember my parents. They had this iPad, and you know they were always IBM and everything and my mom's like i think the battery's gone i'm like you just have to get another one man they don't and she's like no like i'll just get it changed like it doesn't work like that <laughs> like, mm -hmm. <laughs> i remember her calling me after going to the genius bar and just being like what <laughs> what just happened <laughs> like, i know i know <laughs> and my mom's very tech savvy so yeah that was a also annoyed her too right. um okay so where's microsoft just one, John. Just one. Um, no, no. I don't want this to be a you know an all rag on Windows show here. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Worst thing about Windows: uh, security. Oh, oh, that's terrifying. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a big um, like Macs don't get bugs and all this stuff. Is that thing? That's not still true. That's not still true. Uh, they're less susceptible, I would say. And since I cheated on Mac and had to, uh, I will couple one with that and say no. Okay, with the qualifier, until recently, no easy shell access. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. But we can we can come back to that. Yeah, yeah. Linux. Uh, it it's difficult to set up. Uh, mm -hmm. keeping your Linux computer running is sort of like keeping the space shuttle up. <laughs> All 1980s technology? Uh, <laughs> you know, there's more truth to that than anybody will admit. <laughs> yep. uh, but no, there's lots of switches. For example, one of my coworkers who used to run a, uh, a Gen 2 install on his laptop as his main machine. Uh, every time we were talking about this today, actually, every time he upgraded the kernel, he ended up spending like a day trying to get his video drivers to compile and work again. Oh, man. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. That's painful. Right. Okay. All right. Um, I guess, and this is, this is kind of a big question, um, is, oh, wait, no, I've got another question hiding in there. Sorry. Uh, what is your favorite 
or or are there like specific programs that you can only use on each one? I mean, obviously there are a ton of those things, but like, what do you program do you best like that works Ooh. great on the Mac? Okay, <laughs> on the Mac. <laughs> Uh, this is one of the things that kept me from jumping ship from Mac. Uh, I love the set of Omni tools. Okay. So things like Omni Focus, which is my organizer, Omni Graffle, which makes beautiful graphics, Omni Outliner, which is how I outline everything because I think in outlines. Uh, those are Mac only, Mac and iOS only. Okay. Uh, and the iOS part makes that interesting and is a potential migration path away from Mac. But yeah, so the uh, some of the productivity apps. I'll stop there. <laughs> I think we've had productivity shows before, and I think we could keep having them forever, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like the container store of... I can get so much done hacking. while talking about productivity. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man didn't you have like a productivity thing on life hacker or something uh yeah it was a little interview type thing about how do you I think it's called how you work or how i work or something uh, like that yeah gotcha. yeah gotcha okay i haven't looked at any of these omni things uh they're amazing they are expensive oh really yes uh ah. getting omni Let's see. So let's go with the OmniFocus, the planning utility. Mm -hmm. I have it on my Mac, my iPad, and my iPhone. And I think the suite of all of that together was like 130 bucks. Neighborhood okay. of that. Was this uh, post being a student? No. Oh. <laughs> that, that is how useful it is. Ouch. <laughs> uh, with, without Omni, uh, with, without the whole Omni suite, really, my PhD would have been less less useful uh but uh, OmniFocus has kept me sane so i started using OmniFocus in 2011 okay. and literally everything that i need to do since 2011 is in my OmniFocus database oh no kidding yeah okay all right so not one note no uh it's not one that's not really a planning utility in in omni focus yeah. i mean i don't want to go too far down in the weeds but uh some of the cool things you can do are so you have a task and you can assign it to a project and you can assign it a context and you can filter on any of these things or any combination of these things and then you mm -hmm. can like defer it or flag it or add a due date or whatever mm -hmm. and so what i like about it is i have all of these named views they call them perspectives okay. that are filters on my task list mm -hmm. and so i can do things like when i was on the way home from work i knew i needed to run a couple errands i got in the car i opened OmniFocus, i hit my errands perspective and it showed me all the things that i had tagged as needing to do while i was running errands okay when i'm home and it's like okay i have 10 minutes what can I do that's here? I can click on my home perspective and it doesn't show me things I can only do at the office. It shows me only things I can only do at home. Okay. Uh, as, as you've tagged it. As you've tagged it. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So it's, it's a good way to use little bits of time, which I'm horrible at, 
But mm-hmm. well, if, yeah. if I'm waiting on, you know, a bus, I can hit the phone perspective for technology perspective and see, okay, is there a phone call I can make? You know, can I call my insurance and find out why my bill is $13 higher than it's supposed to be? And yeah, I could do that. And you have the number in there. So I just touch the number and it calls and away we go. Man, that sounds, that's, that sounds like your thing is controlling you. I don't know if I'd like that. <laughs> Only Even as much as you I put set in it there. up. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> I start getting mad at it. How do you know this? Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um well, just on a cursory glance, is it worth it to buy the pro versus the not pro? Uh yes, the pro is how you create custom perspectives. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Great. Gotcha. So that's only 50 bucks. I mean, if it's that cool. Yeah, and I mean, it's where it gets expensive is their iOS apps are priced like their Mac apps because Again, oh. they just work together. Gotcha. Uh, but so it does get expensive. You're not going to get it on all your things for that 50 bucks? No. Ah, of course not. All right, Mac. <laughs> that goes in the <laughs> negative category, but that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. What is your Windows pick? LabVIEW. Ah, okay. I'm familiar uh, with that. <laughs> there is a Mac Linux version of LabVIEW that's horribly crippled and useless. um it's very sad because labview started as a mac app oh wow labview was originally mac only god that never happens yeah well mac had the pretty graphics windows Uh, 3.1 didn't mm -hmm. and so it started on the mac there was labview one two three four i believe there was five and they went to the numbered series somewhere in there Mm -hmm. uh like year numbered so now we're on labview 2017 yeah Um, gotcha but you don't have drivers near as many drivers on Mac and Linux. So if you're going to talk to basically any of the new advanced hardware, you got to have a Windows box, which is why I bought the uh, Surface. Ah, well, that's interesting. Okay. Because we can talk about running parallels at some point. Oh, yeah, we are. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> because i mean my this is not keeping me back by any stretch of the imagination but it's always an excuse that i use just to interject my little two cents in here um is all the pmag stuff that we use the pmag analyzing software was all in windows and so it was fine for a long time but then we started to get more and more students that had macs and it just turned into this massively pain in the butt thing just to analyze our data, you know, because all this stuff is on Windows. And so then comes along parallels and how do you get around this? But we'll get back to that. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, is there a Linux thing? Obviously, there is. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> but what's one? <laughs> a lot of open source engineering type things tend to work best on Linux, I mm-hmm. think. Uh, so, for example, KiCad which is an electrical schematic capture and PCB layout tool. Uh, It runs on Mac, Linux, and Windows. You can go download it. I have it on all three. The Linux experience is the most enjoyable. (laughs) Uh, There are some, like, Mac this weekend, I hit a weird bug about not being able to load templates, and it's like, that's unique to the Mac version, and Windows has its own idiosyncrasies. Uh, It was written on... A Linux stack, so it mm. it works best natively on Linux. There are a few utilities like that, uh, as well as just hardcore. You need to do some big computing, uh, and you don't want an operating system that's taking a ton of resources. 
or you need some weird compilers and Linux is the way to go. Yeah. Right. Which is what, you know, I always used it for. Um, right. That is, that is interesting. Uh, I always love it when people complain so much about the things that don't stretch across all these operating systems like they think they should. And it's like, do you know how difficult that is? Uh, yeah, basically the only way to do it successfully is call it a web app. And then you're like, oh, well, don't run it in Chrome. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> it's the same Ex- problem. God. Exactly. Our whole classroom management system at OU doesn't run in Explorer. I mean, not that anyone uses Exploder anyway, but like not at all. You know, like you try it and your computer's fried because it tried to run Canvas. Like it's ridiculous. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and then, you know, there are things like Slack that use this framework called Electron. Mm-hmm. which from what I can tell is some foreign language for uses all of your RAM. Oh, uh, <laughs> Oh, no kidding. This is, <laughs> yeah, this is maybe an aside that needs to happen off the air, but this is part of why my poor Lenovo, it just kept getting slower and slower and slower. And finally I got rid of slack. I was like, my God. So again, some coworkers, uh, we use this piece of software on the Mac, which is actually pretty sweet called control plane. Mm-hmm. And, it lets you do different actions based on triggers. So, okay. for example, when I'm on Wi-Fi, turn off my network card. Uh. Or when I'm on wired network, turn off my Wi-Fi so I don't bridge the network. Or, you know, all these other little things. Uh, one of them has it set up to her, when I'm on battery, close Slack. Because <laughs> it makes their battery drain so much faster. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> but, yeah, totally understandable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I have it set up to start when I, when my computer starts up, and it just you know it's just killing me. Yeah, killing me. Um, okay. Um, I guess that's sort of. I figured we'd just go go more open from here. Those seem to be like. Well, no, I have one more, but those seem to be. But I'm gonna save that till the end. The main kind of questions about it, but I mean, what what do you want to sort of add? to this let's start with parallels because that's the thing that tries to bring both of these together right because i feel like i'm trying to i've got this mac but everything else i do is on a pc and do i actually spend my resources to learn this because macs are not intuitive especially to you know someone that's always worked on a pc maybe they are intuitive if it's the first thing you've seen but i've always worked in windows so or linux so it's not intuitive to me you know, I'm like, how do I even turn off this dumb program? <laughs> 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 yeah. So, I mean, what do you, what do you well, do? So, m- the Mac operating system is a little weird until you get used to it, and then you're like, oh, this is wonderful. Um, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm yeah, not. Oh, this is wonderful yet. It, it takes a while. Okay. Uh, the. <laughs> So running Windows or Linux or Chrome, uh, the Chrome OS or any of these other operating systems can be done with something like Parallels or VirtualBox, which is free. Oh. <laughs> uh, VirtualBox, not as feature-rich as Parallels, but mm-hmm. it does the job. Okay. Uh, I have owned Parallels licenses in the past. They are now a $50 a year model. Not just you buy it. Oh, that uh, sucks. It's less attractive, and 
really before, so the computer that I have right now for work is a powerhouse. It could run Windows in Parallels, no problem. I could write LabVIEW all day long, no issues. Uh, the computer I had before this was a little MacBook Air. And man, that thing levitated from the fans when I even just fired up Parallels. <laughs> and when I tried to run Windows or Ubuntu on it, it was just a little wet spongy in the response. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. That's uh, what I've always heard the complaint about that. I didn't know if that was any better. I mean, if you've got a really killer machine, no problems. Okay. Uh, I actually like my solution now a little better, which is I have a dedicated Windows tower sitting in my basement. It has no monitor. It has no keyboard. It has no mouse. It's just plugged into my network. And when I need to do something on Windows, I remote into that machine. Ah, okay. And it's like I'm sitting there. Interesting. And it doesn't use a lot of my battery if I'm at a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And I can start a long-running process on it and then close my remote terminal and it keeps running. Uh, gotcha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I can start doing some lab use. Or you know, if I'm programming hardware, this is another big one since I do a lot of hardware stuff at night, uh, I can leave you know a, a microcontroller and my circuit hooked up to it and uh, from anywhere, log in and work on it. Okay. So I, I like that approach. Windows remote desktop client, the RDP protocol is amazing. Really? Yeah. I If if my internet connection is good, it's like I'm sitting in front of the machine. Uh, I have never experienced that. I mean, I haven't remoted into computers in quite some time, but that would be amazing. Yeah. My last experience was not good, but that was... 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, when I'm on the network, of course it's fast because I'm on the same network. Yeah. But I set up at my iMac, which has two 27-inch monitors, and RDP treats it like a dual-monitor Windows machine. Oh, beautiful. Or if I'm on my laptop, it just treats it like a single. It's it's very nice. And I would even consider doing that for something that had a complicated install, so say your PMAG programs that are finicky to get working, mm-hmm. I would consider just setting up a machine that students remote into to do their data analysis. That sounds amazing. That sounds like an actual, an actual solution. So I'm sure there will be people that disagree. And yeah, I know, okay, Parallels works great for some things, not great for some things. It melts some computers. It doesn't melt others. This is just the easiest solution I've found for what I do. Okay. Yeah. I'd like to hear other people's takes on that um, as well. Uh, there is, you know, Python, PMAGPI out there too. but And that is cross-platform. Uh-huh. Yep. And so there, there's other things, but for the longest time and also anyone I ask, they still use this ancient program that was written, you know, ancient, ancient kids 20 years ago. <laughs> and... I mean, it was practically carved on stone tablets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah and everyone still uses it because it works but um mm-hmm. it's getting harder and harder to use it i mean 64-bit windows made it extremely hard to use but we worked around that so right it's impossible to use otherwise uh so i never thought about that okay that's a good point i just yeah. assumed parallels was the only thing so the free one how's that uh like it's not bad box 
you you can't do things like in parallels. You can set it up to where I want to take this file from my Mac and make it, you know, show up on my Windows desktop. On parallels, you just drag it from Mac to Windows desktop. Ta da! Uh. Um, that doesn't work. You can do some drive mounts, but it gets a little more complicated. Uh, uh, yeah. I have found it to be slightly less performant. Uh, okay. But for the little that I fire up, occasionally I do fire up a Windows test machine because we have some piece of software that's failing on Windows only. Mm. Uh, and so sometimes I'll fire that up and it's fine. Okay. That makes sense. I gotcha. People that are using Windows. I mean, there there are... Uh, we had a grad student when I was in grad school at Penn State that had a Mac Mini that he blew away the operating system and installed Windows 10 on uh. and was phenomenally productive doing pretty complicated things uh, like, you know, running GMT and running all these Linux command line tools. Uh, and he was just comfortable working in the Windows environment and was very, very productive and a, very much a power user. So you can get anything done with any of these. It's what you like. That's really weird. I would never, I mean, so why would you even do that though? Just because the actual hardware that's in the Mac? Yeah, at that point, uh, that was a really nice machine, hardware-wise, yes. Okay. And there are so. people that go the other way, too. Uh, the Mac operating system makes it very difficult to run it on non-Mac hardware, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but there are certain sets of parts that you could buy if you so wanted to make a Hackintosh. Okay. Uh it violates everything about the EULA <laughs> for the operating system. Yeah, but you think? <laughs> there you can find plenty of things uh, on the internet. You just called that a Hackintosh, didn't you? Yes. Great. <laughs> I, just, I think that went in my ear and then bounced around for a while. Uh, that's <laughs> fantastic. That's like, <laughs> I feel like that statement goes into that whole like medical ethics code of stem cell research and stuff, right? Like... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if the operating system's free, but you're supposed to use it only on their hardware, and then you build your own hardware that they didn't make any money off of and cost half of what Mac hardware did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and then it's this poor computer that doesn't know who it is, right? Right. It doesn't doesn't have parents. It's awful. (laughs) Okay, gotcha. Um, I still want to save my question for last. So using all of them, I mean, do you find that to be... I have a hard enough time because I also have a Surface, but then I bought this fancy little Dell 13-inch computer that I love as well, and then I've got this huge, monstrous, very powerful Mac, and I find it kind of hard to go between them all. I'm getting better at it. I'm utilizing Dropbox more. I bought, you know, the big, the big Dropbox, and I use that, but it seems kind of hard sometimes. Oh, it is. Uh, and you don't remember, oh, what's my key shortcut on this machine for doing that? Oh, God. I, yeah, uh, I haven't Because not everything close. has VI key bindings because mm-hmm. they're animals. Uh, <laughs> so there are, there are tools like Dropbox, which is great. Uh, there are certainly problems switching back and forth between them. I obviously have a couple machines that are like my main operators. Uh, my Surface does not have nearly everything or every piece of software that I use on it. Yeah. It has what I need to accomplish the test because I have decided that I'm going to operate primarily on the Mac 
and Windows will be my other operating system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes it it makes it difficult, and it's also more computers to have to manage. I mean, Windows updates, that's a full-time job. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> and it, it does take time to keep all these machines updated, try to keep them secure, and uh, keep them running smoothly. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's difficult, too, trying to sort of parse out, you know, this is my work and this is my home thing, especially, you know, when that line can be really fluid for a lot of us, right? You know, you want to work at home and, you know, look at pictures of your vacation for somebody at work or something like that. And so that's sort of where I'm struggling because, you know, this Mac is so unwieldy and I really carry around my little laptop more. I thought, well, I'll just leave this. This is my home machine, you know, but then it's like, I've got to teach everybody how to use it because no one's used to it, you know, and then where does all your stuff live? Does it just live in Dropbox? So then you've got access to it between the two platforms. Is that the easiest way to do it? But then it feels like I'm not utilizing this Mac like I should be, I guess. I don't know. I mean, Almost everything that I have lives in Dropbox uh, just because I want it to be available on all my things. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you find do you find that to be pretty... I mean, the worst part of that is making sure everybody syncs everybody. All your devices sync frequently enough to not go into right now my little Dropbox thing says 31 hours left, right? Oh, only once. <laughs> have i had an issue that resulted in a folder that's still there called wtf dropbox (laughs) uh where they did an update there was some horrible bug in syncing and it started like duplicating my entire dropbox into itself recursively oh that's awesome dropbox inception sweet yeah there were there were bad things there Uh, that's only happened once in many years of having a dropbox subscription well that's nice um it's it's probably the best way to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. I and am curious, so so we can make this mix more complicated. Uh-oh. Uh, and it's more complicated for me now. Is throw in something like an iPad Pro. Ugh. Uh, <laughs> so I have one of these, too, and I had one before you did. I just want to throw that out there. You did, because I, I, for a long time, was like, ah, I don't really, and, and finally I went and bought one. Mm-hmm. So through the magic of however university money works, right, we got a lot of money to buy Apple products. <laughs> and so, you know, we bought this Mac that was going to be our our computer to use at field camp, and then we bought all these iPads for the classroom, and then they bought sort of the instructors that use these active learning classrooms, they bought us all these iPad Pros. I got that. I got an Apple Pencil. I feel really bad because I don't use it hardly at all. So here's where the twist comes in, then, I would say. If I did not program computers for a living, I think the iPad Pro would be my primary computer. Man, see, and this is interesting because my husband has one now because he loves how much bigger it is than the old iPad. And it's the only thing he uses, too. Exactly. So, I mean, okay, sure, CAD software is not exactly up to snuff on the iPad yet. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It will get there. I'm fully confident. Because this iPad Pro has almost the same specs as my less-than-a-year-old MacBook Pro 
from work and it has better specs than my you know two-year-old uh, air that's crazy the the graphics performance it does better at playing graphics intensive games such as a flight simulator uh than any computer i own except a brand new mac pro that costs four times as much that's impressive and it's light i can carry it everywhere it's the only thing i use on an airplane Okay. Because I will not, I cannot use a laptop on an airplane. The T-Rex typing position makes my arms hurt. It makes me very <laughs> cranky very quickly. <laughs> oh, I'm never going to be able to either. Because every time I go to do it now, I'm just going to imagine <laughs> a T-Rex doing that. I'm just going to laugh and everyone's going to think I'm weird. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, so we were on four flights in the last week and it's all I used. Um I watch videos on it every night. I read books on it. Uh, I haven't charged my Kindle in ages. Uh, see, uh, now this is the problem, though, because when that thing hits you in the face, that's bad news. <laughs> yeah, it's happened. Uh, yeah, that's not okay. It, it's heavy enough. I thought there were going to be some nosebleeds a few Ex- times. Exactly. I mean, that Kindle can hurt, but ooh, no. Not well, like that iPad Pro. You know, here's the other. here's the other rub. Uh, even though I do program for a living, I could almost use it now. Man, that's really interesting. So there's an app called Working Copy that lets you deal with uh, Git repositories. Mm-hmm. So I can download Git repositories. I can make a branch. I can edit files. I can push. Uh, I can do all these things that I normally do in my workflow. And... People say, well, you can't run, you know, tests for your software locally. And that is 100% true. I can't. But I have remote computers that can. Uh, (laughs) In fact, they do automatically. (laughs) So I can make my code changes. I can push it. And then, you know, things in the cloud, uh, the cyber. And and, uh, they tell me whether the code worked or not. And tell me what the error messages were if it didn't. And I can change it and push it again and never actually execute the code locally. That's so creepy to me that you could have an entire bank of computers and just you don't have any monitor at all. You just have your iPad. That's my servers. I have no monitors on them. And I can. I I have an app called Terminus, which is a SSH terminal client for the iPad. And mm-hmm. so I can log in to those servers remotely. I can bounce processes. I can execute programs. I can change scripts. It's just like I'm sitting at a terminal. Man, uh, that's weird. I can also remote into my desktop, uh, my Windows desktop, and use my Apple Pencil to move the mouse around and mm-hmm. click buttons and programs and start things and that kind of thing. Take that, Bill Gates. Yeah, so I was actually able to... Uh, this was This was cool. I did it to see if I could. Uh, I hooked an Arduino up to the Windows machine downstairs. Of course you did. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. said, okay, you know, let's say I'm I'm working on some project and I have code that I want to write and put on this Arduino. And so I pulled it up on the iPad, was able to write the code in the Arduino editor on Windows using my iPad as the remote client, oh upload God. it to the Arduino, and watch the Arduino you know, blink lights and turn things and move servos. <laughs> All from programming I was doing on my iPad over the network. I don't believe that. Surely somewhere that that's got to break down, right? Like the telephone game? Surely somewhere <laughs> there has to be some kind of mix-up. That's impressive, though. I don't. I think mean, this really, all you're doing is sending mouse ago. move commands and keyboard commands yeah. over the internet. And yeah. then 
their remote desktop protocol is basically just sending uh, a bunch of screenshots back really fast. All you're doing is saying Susie loves Johnny too, but by ten people, it's not the same message. (laughs) (laughs) That's impressive. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I haven't had issues with it, and it is very convenient sometimes to, even when I'm sitting by that computer, it doesn't have a monitor and everything on it, uh, but I can have the iPad, and I can be sitting upstairs, and I can work on some code, and I can hit upload and go down there and see if it's working right. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's... It's great, and the iPad battery life is amazing. Yeah, it really is. I will give it that. <laughs> uh, and, of course, the Apple Pencil is wonderful. I like taking notes with it. I I would have given some appendage to have this thing <laughs> as an undergraduate. <laughs> um, I think we're going to have to have, I would say we'd have to have a whole show about this, but it, that's just, you're just going to talk about how much you love this one thing. Because I, I have a Samsung tab s which is you know old now but i love it but because this has gone on for so long and we still have a fun paper to do my last question (laughs) (laughs) now i'll say we 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 should at some point uh address what people you know what's right for your usage but we might not get there (laughs) uh yeah i don't i don't think we are gonna get there um that was kind of uh yeah i had that as an overarching question but i think that can be its own show maybe we'll part two this yeah. I kind of like that because I'd like to talk about, I'd like to give some time for my Samsung Tab S because I love its graphics so much. <laughs> so <laughs> so okay. strap in, we're not done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll part two this bad boy. Um, What do you, well, maybe I should just save this question then. Yeah, I'm going to do it. We're saving it. Part two. All right, cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> what would you as your clue? Fill in the blank. And actually, if you would like to ask some questions since there is going to be uh, some lag time in here. Try to get your questions in before Wednesday of next week, and uh, we'll try to address them on the show if you have any thoughts on Mac, Linux, Windows. Who knew this one little line in our proposed show would turn into two shows and hopefully a lot of really excellent audience participation. Yes, and I look forward to people telling me how wrong I am on things because... Me too. Uh, it's probably <laughs> true, and everybody can have their own opinion. It, everything you know works different and better for different people. Uh, your mileage may vary. <laughs> exactly. And that mystery question, which is not going to be as exciting now that we've built it up. But <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, we should go on to everybody's favorite segment. Fun Paper Friday. Yay! <laughs> So, okay, maybe this isn't a not-so-fun paper because it's a little dense, but I thought that it was (laughs) the timing of it was really good because we've had this Pluto show where we talked about some of the New Horizons findings, and then we also just had an atmosphere, ancient Earth atmosphere show, and I thought this was a really cool article to go along with that. Yes, so it's called Haze Heats Pluto's atmosphere yet explains its cold temperature by Zhang, Strobel, and Mimanka. Yes. Um, so this is weird because we talked about in our Pluto show, number one, that Pluto has an atmosphere. And that right. was something that, you know, maybe we we hadn't really known before. And that Pluto's atmosphere was likely made up of these weird things called tholins. Did you remember what those were, John? I do. They cause like a, a red haze. 
<laughs> as New Horizons was looking back, it was these little, uh, I don't remember exactly what kind of compounds they were. I want to say they were some kind of like a hydrocarbony type compound. Yep, yep, that's what yeah. they are. Mm-hmm. And so we see that there's something like this stuff in there. That's what we think. But it turns out, shocking, <laughs> our models... <laughs> before we we sent New Horizons up there of Pluto's atmosphere were a lot different than what we actually observed. And then some of our thoughts about how the atmosphere works in general didn't really work with what we thought we were seeing. And so um, how can we explain how cold Pluto is? Because it's actually a lot colder than it should be. Right. And, you know, I though the models were wrong... Uh, I want to point out that the models were 60 degrees Celsius off at the worst for a planet that was 7.5 billion kilometers away. (laughs) But they were still wrong. (laughs) But they weren't all that bad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just thought this was really interesting because when we talk about the faint young sun, and Earth's early atmospheres and stuff, you know, it. we should have been so cold that we froze over and we couldn't get out of it, but that's not what happened. And so how did we change that? And one of the thoughts is that we had a hazy atmosphere, but it's a little bit different than Pluto's in terms of we had this methane haze that stuck around in the atmosphere from all this volcanic outgassing. And it basically this haze got stuck under the layer of clouds and we stayed really heated up. Basically, right. due to the due to the radiative differences of the haze, so not just clouds would do this. We had to have this haze, and that's kind of the thing with Pluto is that you know we can't we can't explain that temperature difference, albeit small, with just say clouds or something like that. We have to introduce these haze particles specifically, and then we can get at Pluto's atmospheric temperature structure very close to the observational structure. Right. So in ancient Earth, you have these gas uh, gas hazes that would bring, uh, they would absorb a lot of thermal energy, the incoming solar radiation, and radiate, re-radiate very little back out to space. Right. Here, we're having sort of the opposite happen. Right. Yeah, that's why I thought it was really interesting. And uh, we're not talking about methane. We're talking about some scary stuff hydrogen cyanide is the hydrocarbon compound that is in pluto's atmosphere right and what's interesting about this is there is a depth distribution to the size of these Mm -hmm. Uh, so say at 45 kilometers they're about 0.15 microns across but as you go down into the atmosphere you can get into the millimeter range Right, because these little guys are all glomming up together on top of each other, right? Yes, and I did. I also thought it was weird that uh, one millimeter was denoted as a thousand microns in here. <laughs> yes. I, I, I guess sticking with the same units, but it made it slightly more confusing for a mental comparison. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I thought I thought that was funny too. I always hate it when that happens too in years when people are like one thousand million years. No, no. That's a billion what you're doing. <laughs> anyway. A million, million, million. I... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, one funny thing that I thought reading this paper 
was they talk about the average solar flux at Pluto. I had never thought about what the average solar flux at Pluto is. We know that we expect this inverse square fall off in radiance, right? So if you're twice as far away, you get four times less radiation. Okay. What's a good round number for insulation on the Earth? So 1350 watts per meter squared ish. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's a good, you know, nice Something latitude like seasonal average number. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That doesn't exist actually anywhere on Earth, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Pluto's globally average solar flux is 300 milliwatts yeah. <laughs> per square meter, <laughs> and it's got a very high surface albedo, so 0.8, so it's very reflective. Uh, oh, so cold. <laughs> so by the time you talk about UV and visible radiation, uh, you're cut down to about a milliwatt per square meter. I thought this was crazy. Yeah, looking at that graph, it's like, oh, geez, it's all gone. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess that's what 7 billion kilometers does, right? Yeah, I mean, a, a milliwatt, that's, that's maybe the same amount of power that your remote unlock on your car uses. It might actually be less. Uh, oh, <laughs> Um, I really liked, I, I was actually surprised at this too, because they're talking about the interaction, uh, of these particles, right? How thin the atmosphere is, but it was not as thin as I thought it would be. Cause I no, think I mean... it's, you said, well, this is the, you know, the mean free path of a particle in Pluto's thin atmosphere is more than 1000 microns. Right. So again, millimeters. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I said it I like that on purpose, um, which, you know, is much greater than these haze things, which are sub micrometer as in size. But I guess I would have figured it was thinner than that. Yeah, I mean, it's well, it's got a pretty good depth, too. They're talking about uh, the particle collision with gas time scale all the way up to 700 kilometers from the surface in this paper. Right, exactly. And I think that was something that we did not model very well. Oh, yeah, I, I think so. And so you got this haze heating, and then you have cooling that's balancing it. So if your planet is not getting much hotter or much colder over time, then you probably have some kind of equilibrium. Right. Uh, otherwise, you would be building up or losing energy constantly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. So they did all these calculations. The time scales of different processes. Uh, gas cooling is something like 10 to the 10th seconds, so quite mm-hmm. long. Uh, particle collisions with gases are down in the millisecond range Mm -hmm. and then settling and everything else is in between. Yep. Uh, But what they ended up finding out is that the heat transfer in these materials causes them to emit a lot of IR Mm -hmm. and cool the planet down. That's so interesting. So one of the interesting things about this paper, and I wish more papers did this, is, you know, this this is a modeling paper for all intents and purposes. Mm -hmm. There are observations that this paper tried to fit, and there are observations that prompted the writing and investigation of this topic. But there is no way to verify this model with our current data. Mm -hmm. Yes. But they did something that every powerful model should be able to do. They made a prediction. (laughs) they said we predict that pluto is therefore several orders of magnitude brighter at the mid infrared wavelengths than previously thought a brightness that could be detected by future telescopes yeah i thought this was really neat 
And so the James Webb Space Telescope is the one that's going to go up, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's the one that they said, you know, they've, it's got this mid-infrared imager on it. And so we'll just have to wait and see, which I think is really exciting. Well, and there's no, you know, okay, the James Webb Space Telescope goes up. Let's say they didn't publish this paper. It sends back data and they say, ah, this verifies our hypothesis and they publish it. Yeah. That is a very different story than unbiased making a prediction Mm -hmm. that can be tested by data that has not yet been collected. Which is probably why this is in nature. (laughs) It's true. And it also shows that everything that's in nature isn't solved. We don't know all the answers. Yeah. Um, which my undergrads find outrageously infuriating, but I, <laughs> I find very heartening and interesting in my old age. <laughs> right. And one of the other cool things they talked about in here is black body radiation and how this would not be a, a your stereotypical black body because of these high mid-IR emissions. Yeah, I, I thought that if I taught thermo, I would be all over this. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> there were so many homework problems that like came to my mind and I had to think, nope, I will never use this in my job now. But man, if I were a meteorology professor, Dr. Eric, you need to use this. <laughs> well, it's because you'd think about uh, thermo and think back to that class and you're like, we're going to approximate everything as a black body because it basically is. Yeah. Not. N- not Pluto. <laughs> uh, <laughs> probably. Uh, well, so, it's not, uh, not a planet either, so I guess. True. So the uh, the concept of a black body, I, I looked it up because I I understand it. I see why we use it as a theoretical construct. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see what the actual definition is. Like, it, what is an ideal black body? Mm-hmm. Um, did you have any ideas? Oh, I mean, so a black body is something that's not going to re-radiate stuff, right? Like light. Is that right. right? So it perfectly absorbs things. Everything. everything. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. That, well, that's what I thought. Right. And there are these very characteristic emission curves that come from a black body. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as you go to higher and higher temperatures, the black body curve uh, sort of gets more narrow and shifts to higher frequencies. So it goes more blue. And it's radiation. So if you were to take a box made out of a very thermally conductive material, so let's say we made it out of thin sheets of copper, and we painted the inside black, and we sealed it all up so no light can get in, and then we poked a teeny tiny pinhole, and we put it in a dark room, (laughs) and we pointed a spectrometer at it, we would get the black body emission coming out of that little tiny pinhole for a black body at that temperature. And as we change the temperature, we would see the emission specter shift. Nice. Yep. That was was an excellent visual of that assumption. Yeah, and there's a a formula that you can go and calculate what these spectra look like. If you took radiation and climate or anything like that, you did it way too much. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) And it's really not that complicated but what it's saying is pluto wouldn't look like that at this temperature there's some other little factor which in this case is a haze of tholins right. that causes yeah. it to not be a black body right exactly and it just gas alone didn't wouldn't any kind of gases so they modeled all kinds of different gases and so gas alone wouldn't have done this due to the size of the gas molecules so it had to you can explain it with this haze which is 
which is really interesting. There's a lot of actually in this, which is just touched on briefly, um, the chemical makeup of the haze is a lot different than other things out there in the solar system. And so when we talked about Tholans before, we talked about Titan, because Titan has a lot of Tholans. Um, but Titan's also a lot further in. And so you look at Neptune's moon, Triton, um, and you look at that in respect to these different hydrocarbons there. And it says that there's a lot less methane there than even on Pluto and Titan because of how it's photochemically destroyed in the lower atmosphere. So methane doesn't hang around long, doesn't hang around long here either. Um, and it says that because of that, there's a much lower rate of this haze formation. And it, it's really interesting, the chemical differentiation of this stuff, even that far out, you know, it's not the same at all. Oh yeah. So that's, uh, so therefore you've got this haze on Triton too, but it doesn't have this cooling effect that it does on Pluto because of these things. And so now you've got this really strong cooling effect from this haze there. Exactly. So, and you know, this paper is not, uh, it it is dense, but it's not all that long and it is readable uh at several levels really. Right. Uh, Exactly. And as always, the method section is pretty fantastic. Oh yeah. So. So, If you have a fun paper that you would like us to talk about, or you have some input or questions on the great Windows Mac Linux (laughs) shootout where probably all three are going to win, uh, we would love to hear from you. Shannon, how can they get a hold of us? Uh, Well, if Slack hasn't killed your computer, you can always come hang out in our Slack channel. Uh, We're in the Software Underground and the Don't Panic channel. Uh, You can email us, show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. Please do. We'd love to incorporate it into next week's show. Um, Also on Twitter, shoot us a note there. John is at geo underscore Lehman. I'm at Shannon Doolin. And together we are at Don't Panic Geo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Except if you're Pluto, it is now. (laughs) Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.